Um, so how we usually like to, to start these conversations is, is about individuals' journeys, you know, to get to, to where they are. And usually when I talk to, to people, they're, you know, sort of at a time of their life where, you know, they're working on something that's going to take up a chunk of their life. You know, it's going to take years of their life and, and a massive amount of time. So it's really good to speak to individuals when they're at that that point in their life, you know, because they, they, they've really had a long journey and they have a lot of knowledge to share. So if, if you each want to just take a, take a little bit of time to talk about your individual roadmaps, um, we can kind of get started there. Yeah, I can start. So I graduated from college and went into finance. I started working at Citigroup in one of their analyst programs, which was a great place to start learning how the world works. Um, mm-hmm. I, it was a rotational program. So I did a year in sales, a year in product management, and a year in operations and implementations. And it was on all completely different teams too. Um, and City is a huge, huge company, as you know. And it's it was really interesting to... I guess, be launched into adulthood and have to like learn about like the way a corporation works and like yeah. all of those sorts of things, which is I think a good foundation. Um, I was never really, really passionate about what I was doing. I don't know if many people in finance are really passionate about moving money around, but I, I abruptly left because I wanted to have an impact and do something positive for the world. So I went to teach preschool. Also very stressful, probably even more stressful <laughs> yeah. in finance. Yeah. Um, It was so rewarding, though. I taught three-year-olds at a private school in New York City, and it was really eye-opening for me. And from there, I went into ed tech um, just to have an impact on more than just Mm -hmm. the 17, 20 students a year that you have access to. Um, Bounced around the ed tech world for a little bit. I got my master's in education, technology, and innovation. I was in the Harvard Innovation Lab trying to start a language learning startup um, while I was in grad school really just embracing the ed tech life. Um, And then when I was coming out of grad school, I wanted to marry both the the education and technology background that I now had with the financial background and ultimate goal being again, to do something positive for the world. Um, And so that's when good capital kind of solidified, but backing up now to Gideon's journey. (laughs) Um, So I'm I'm Gideon Cohn. Monica and I are also married. So we're business partners and and life partners. That's a whole nother podcast. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny, I can actually like really pinpoint to the exact moment and time and place in my life where the trajectory that started up the path to get capital um, really began. And that was, uh, that was May of my junior year in college. I heard to the grapevine in college that a fellow classmate, classmate of mine was tragically killed in a motorcycle accident. Um, on campus, he was hit by a car and just tragically died. And um, when I when I found out about this news, I was not on campus. I was at home recovering from my own motorcycle accident. What? It was very similar circumstances, um, and one of us survived and one of us didn't. So at the time, felt like I needed to do something profound with my life. Uh, I hope you can understand this maybe a little bit for where I was coming from as a 21 year old. Yeah. And um, through that experience, and I'm like shaking, just thinking about the experience. <laughs> through that experience, I learned a lot about many different types of industries. You know, I, uh, I saw firsthand the first responders that came to me mm-hmm. on the scene and, you know, asking if I was going to live or die or if I was going to keep my leg or not. Um, I got to see what it was like to, to be a surgeon coming in to see a patient uh, lying what could have been my deathbed. I got to see what it was like to be a nurse to attend someone in the ICU. I got to see what it was like to be a lawyer representing uh, someone in an accident. 
and I got to see what it was like on the insurance side to deal mm-hmm. with that. Insurance is really messed up, by the way. That's like a whole other podcast. <laughs> it's like it's a whole podcast series. It, oh, it's yeah, I know, I know. There's actually a lot of innovation coming in in, in, in insurance tech, though. You know, which oh, is that's good to hear. for yeah. sure. Yeah, uh, insurance bills are negotiable. I did not know that before. I uh, know, um, right? It was so weird. I said, I had, listen, man. I had the same. Experience. I had a I had an unexpected like kidney stone that I passed, and it was like the worst one of the worst days like I've had because it was incredibly painful and yeah but just the whole process of that like believe me man I, I totally understand where you're coming from it was just a mess anyway yeah. Yeah, mess is like the best word to describe <laughs> yeah 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 so I, I feel like with with all of that and, and sorry and and I also got a taste of the investing world because um as a 21 year old I was awarded a, a lump sum payment from from the accident mm, um, it was not my fault uh, I was hit by a diabetic at 1 30 in the afternoon Mm. sunny day so um just wrong place wrong time yeah but i I got this really amazing you know taste of all these different uh different trajectories i could have gone on and i feel like i took the really logical route for a 21 year old um and i became a pilot so i i would really let's go let's go from a motorcycle to an airplane (laughs) that's pro tip that's how you scare your mom two times in like the same season um, so yeah, so I, uh, I went deep into aviation. I was a, I was a bush pilot in Alaska for a little while. I was an airline captain down, down here in LaGuardia. And, and during this time I was still investing that lump sum payment. I learned very quickly that aviation is a pretty lonesome career. There's a lot of time sitting alone at hotel rooms right by the airport, which is not as glamorous as people like to think. And, and I, I was lucky enough to get an intern, uh, at a wealth management firm, uh, here in Westchester, New York. So, uh, while I was deep in aviation, I was still trying to put feelers out uh, in the investment world. And uh, the biggest transferable skill from aviation to wealth management is really risk management. Um, mm, you learn yeah. how, to, how to manage risk appropriately uh, every time you, you step in the cockpit. And, uh, you know, once you're managing money, it's also just a risk management skill. So it's actually, uh, it, it pairs very well together. But uh, early on in aviation, Monica and I started dating and, and um, just trying to do life planning as well as financial planning. And that's where, uh, that's where the inception of Good Capital came from. Yeah. So, I mean, we've always been raised to do good, to volunteer in high school, you know, all that good stuff and raised on the millennial, like idealist mindset of like, let's make the world a better place. And so as we were becoming adults more and more, we were thinking about like what we as individuals can be doing to contribute to this better future, to this better society. Um, So it started with being a more conscious consumer and thinking about what we're buying, where we're Mm -hmm. buying from, trying to just reduce our own carbon emissions and trying to bike and walk everywhere in New York City. What we ate, trying to be more plant-based, yeah. And then one of the last things that we thought about, which is crazy because we were already involved with money in terms of finance and wealth management. Right, right. Yeah, and even for us as the last thing was we were we were like, wait, what is our money doing? Um, Yeah. So once we thought about that, it came to, oh, we should definitely be investing sustainably and socially responsibly. That's something that we could easily do. Um, So then we started doing it for ourselves, which is how Good Capital was born. How, how was that research, right? Because you can easily say, oh, I'd like to, you know, invest more sustainably and, and more consciously, but, you know, it, sometimes there's not a lot of options, right? Or it could be hard to find, you know, where, where to put that money appropriately. So what was that research like? I mean, was it just going to the good old Google machine and, and kind of just researching that way? Was, was there other platforms that you'd look at and, 
And what did you, what was your lessons learned? And what did you discover from that time where you were like, okay, we're eating better, we're, we're buying more consciously, but now let's invest better. That's a, that's a big, that's a much different shift, right? From then just eating plant-based, like you could just do that on a Tuesday, right? But you can't do that. Like with, with your, you can go from Monday to eat meat and Tuesday and being, you know, eat plant-based, but you can't do that. Like with your finances overnight to like invest socially responsibly. So like, what was that path like in, in researching and discovering that? Starting off the real, real basic. I mean, we, with our own personal choices on the consumer side is we really had a vision of what it is that we want our future to be, right? We wanted, we had a very clear vision of the companies that we wanted to support mm-hmm. and putting down the groundwork for the future that we want to live in. So with that kind of mindset, it does take a lot of research and there's many ways to go about this, but it's really trying to think about what companies that are existing today that are supporting your sustainable values in the future or what products don't exist today that should be funded right. to produce that, that future that you want. So it, it really is kind of having that vision in mind when you're doing the, a portfolio of construction. Being in the wealth management realm already obviously gives us a leg up because we have these platforms that can do, I mean, such a robust amount of research in a very short amount of time. But it was with that framework that you really start, you know, putting the building blocks of a portfolio together in order to, you know, replicate your values in your money. So once with, once with that kind of framework in mind, we started going through and like, what is it that good capital wants to represent with our money? So what is, what is it that we want to uphold in our values um, in our money? So mm-hmm. the first step that we kind of took is, is the opposite of that is what, what don't we want to support, right? Mm-hmm. So Mark and I, we don't smoke. Why would we support cigarette companies? We don't own weapons. Why are we supporting weapon manufacturers? We don't support the, the prison system in America. So why are we going to invest in prison companies? Yeah. So it's kind of do this, it's, it's negative screening in ESG, but the way that Wall Street has bundled all of these, you know, really crappy companies into yeah. the index funds or mutual funds, you don't necessarily know that you're investing. Exactly. Yeah. So right. it's like the most basic level of, you know, sustainable investing is really defining what you're not invested in. And throughout the years for, for us um, managing other people's money, we keep, we keep track of what we divest from. And it's, it's, I'm telling you, it's the most empowering thing ever. And it's what gets me up in the morning when I can look at this, these data points and say, oh, we've divested whatever X amount of thousands of dollars from prison companies or, mm-hmm, or tobacco mm-hmm. manufacturers or weapon manufacturers. We don't, we don't believe in them. They've, they've underperformed historically. So why would even from a <laughs> point be in them? Right. Because they're, and I tell the clients, it's legality is such a poor barometer for morality. And yeah. there's these industries yeah. that that are funded by public money and pension plans that is appalling to it's crazy no it really is crazy i mean the the fact that you can even have you can even invest in in private prisons how is it even past the sec like how does it even become a public company like that there's some elementary things there that they're systematically wrong that that a company like that could be a public company and you can invest in people putting people in prison there's not a there's not there's not it's not it's not like a coincidence that america has the most people in prison in any other country in the world well probably because like you could make money off of it right and it's like it's just such a head scratcher sometimes um anyway like we go down that path it it gets real dark real quick but i i I guess i think you're right like there are sort of easy there's sort of easy you know bullet points you could you could check right and say hey we're going to just divest in these things but then it's still you have to to go to something else right and within the public markets it's a little difficult because there's really not that many like 
great companies like from a social good social impact standpoint clean technology you know solar and there's some energy stuff that's really promising really interesting right when you look at the overall markets and what you're sort of allowed to you know invest in the public markets what do you see there and are you optimistic that you know we can have like social impact companies from a public market, like a lot of them within the public markets. Yeah, I think that, so we're all about the creating change from within the system. Definitely agree that there aren't that many social impact companies or specifically or only social impact companies in the public markets, which is what we mainly invest in. So there's definitely that. It's not like with impact investing, when you invest in private, when you invest in private placement, you can like put your money towards yeah. a solar company or something like that. But for us, we see it more as we're trying to move the needle on what already exists. And, and you do see the change already, right? We see there's a lot in terms of moving from the shareholder capitalism mm-hmm. to, uh, to the stakeholder capitalism. There was the business roundtable saying that they're going to take stakeholder capitalism more seriously. And like, there's all these little things happening. And I think that especially with, sustainable investing, it's pushing the industry more and more in that direction. So while it's definitely not perfect in what we're investing in, it's, I think, moving the needle in the right direction. And that's, that's our ultimate goal. I think it was a good point that she made versus, you know, shareholder versus stakeholder. And you kind of want to maybe give an overview of what that is and maybe, you know, a generalization of of what that shift is and like the difference between, you know, shareholder and and sort of stakeholder capitalism and and how that shift can be positive. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, So shareholder capitalism has been around for decades now. I forget when it originally started, mid 1900s, I think. Yeah, I'm kind of aware of the 60s, 70s. Um, A little history. (laughs) And that's the idea that companies one, only look at financial profits, financial revenues, and two, that they're totally beholden to shareholders, which mm-hmm, right. if you're buying a stock or an equity, you become a shareholder. So they're the only people they care about doing well for is these shareholders who hold ownership of their company compared to the move towards stakeholder capitalism, which is where you're not only caring about the financial returns but and you're not only caring about your shareholders but you're also thinking about your employees your clients your community that you're functioning in all of these other people who are also affected by your company also matter um and what's what's really cool to see is that companies that think about the whole ecosystem and all these other stakeholders are actually doing better now in the long run yeah companies that are only focusing on their shareholders so that's awesome yeah no i think the best way to to describe what Monica beautifully defined was to go through an example. I mean, we yeah. we hold a, a company in our portfolio, uh, Cisco, which is a distribution company. And it came to the it, it came to the investors' knowledge that within its food distribution chain in Southeast Asia, Cisco was inadvertently participating in, in human trafficking. Yeah. Uh, 30% of its, I think it was a shrimp distribution line in, in the Philippines was coming from, from slave labor. Mm-hmm. So it, instead of the company saying, oh, you know, well, this is the cheapest way to get a product. Right. Out, the investors said, you know, hey, you know, we've identified a problem. This is like a human rights violation and you need to address this. And if you don't, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pull out funding. So, yeah. uh, I mean, that's a big threat for a company, especially when, when a, an investor of 5% or more threatens you with that. So it's pretty big. 
the, the company, Cisco, wanted to fix it. So they, they put people on the ground in, in Southeast Asia. They not only eliminated the slave labor or human trafficking in their own uh, distribution line, but also in the region by up to 60%. Wow. So not only did they you know, create a good from a bad, but they also created this whole uh, PR campaign around what they were doing. Yeah, so for sure. They eliminating bad actors in the supply chain, but they were also increasing sales because they were promoting what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So that that shift from oh, only thinking about your your top line or bottom line revenue, is now shifting like oh no, we actually care about the people that we're affecting, and and look, we're a good company, so you should shop with us. Right, yeah. and at the end of the day, that benefits everyone, and I think companies are starting to see that too. Like oh, I should take all of these other factors into consideration, and that can make not only more money for me, but just make things better for everyone around me too. And you- so since it's in our portfolio, we become the the impact investors, right? Because we're yep. the ones that went forward and just you know said, hey, we need to fix this and company policy changed. But if another firm, you know, down the street from us also holds Cisco, well they're just a regular shop and they're not impact investors, even though the same outcome was achieved. Right. Yeah. The bottom line revenue still went up, but we were the ones that pushed for the policy to change. So that's, that kind of goes the argument. Always people say like, oh, we have to sacrifice returns for being an impact investor. Well, no, you're going to have the same returns if you hold that company, but we're the ones that are pushing for these changes. When you talk to just in the investor landscape in general, when you, when you talk to them about certain issues, do, do, do you see investors bringing up topics like this to you? Or, or do you maybe you know, educate investors on maybe why you shouldn't maybe invest in this company? Maybe this is why, because maybe they're not doing some of the things that maybe you know, Cisco decided to do, like, what's that, what's that relationship like in those conversations, like with investors when talking about sometimes difficult issues, right? Like this. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for our clients, it's, it's a mix. It's a mix of most people who come to us are saying like, oh, we, we want our money to be doing something good. Like I want it to be in the market still and still grow, but I want it to be funding good companies. Um, So I think there's definitely that baseline that people come in with. And then beyond that, I feel like there's it, it definitely depends on the individual, but for the most part, people aren't so specific in what they want or not mm-hmm. want to invest in them. Some people have specifics where they're like, oh, I definitely don't want to invest in Amazon or Facebook or something like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, so our clients are yeah, exactly what you said. They're either they believe in what we're doing and they just trust us to manage their their money or there's something specific. So we have uh, we have vegan clients. We have mm-hmm. clients that really want the human rights um, aspect or, um, you know, carbon footprint, or, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole slew of different carve outs that we can make within our portfolios to reflect the, the values of our clients. So it's just, it's a broad range. I mean, we take on the, we, we take on the values of our clients. So we try to build everything custom to what they want. Yeah. And I think also I just thought of this in terms of the industry as a whole, I recently read a statistic that more individual investors are pushing for the sustainable and social responsible investors compared to, I've heard the exact percentage, but not as many financial advisors like we are, are pushing. Right. It's more, yeah. yeah, it's more individual investors who are like, I want this, I need this, can you do this for me? Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what kind of uh, drew me towards you guys is because it's, it's kind of a different, like you said, individual investors, I think for a while, they, they We've been kind of pushing towards this and looking at different ways to, you know, to invest in, in responsible ways. And because the, the issue is there hasn't been really a lot of advisors out there that kind of take the lead on it. Right. I mean, it, it, there's kind of been this gap in the market where you go to 
walk up the street to Charles Schwab or, or Fidel, whatever, right? These, these sort of corner institutions. And it's like, you can't walk in there and be like, hey, can I talk to your impact investing officer, right? Like, it just doesn't exist, right? And, and so, you know, individuals have had to, had to seek out, you know, there, there are certain apps that, that come out, right? Or, or certain things, uh, web platforms and, and so, so smaller technology companies that are trying to do some things around, around this stuff to where an individual investor can do their own research and do it themselves because, you know, for, for a long time, there just hasn't been that outlet for like individual investors to walk into an office or, or call, you know, a financial advisor and, and get really good feedback, right? Like get, get, get information about this kind of stuff. It's like, Hey, I want to invest in this stuff. You know, they might just like not laugh, but right. They, they just might be like, well, that's not the best way to, to, that's not where you're going to get the best returns. It's not the best way to put your money. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think in the past, just even couple of years, there's been a huge shift yeah. as these large companies are realizing that people are asking for it. They're like, oh man, we need to get on that. And they're starting to offer it, but there's a lot of greenwashing of course going on. Oh, yeah, of course. People just wanting to get into the field to get into the field. But yeah, it definitely, I mean, it's so new. There's so much. There's yeah, so much. I started getting it like, like dude. <laughs> <laughs> we, I was at a conference uh, right before COVID. So the week before New York City shut down, and every single, it was a sustainability conference at NYU Stern, and every single big bank was there. I think yeah. somebody was a spokesperson from Goldman and Fidelity, and a couple of the rating companies were there. And every single one had the exact, like to a T, the exact same line yeah. saying, sustainability is in our ethos. Yeah. And that is just, and it's always, it's been. always been our ethos. And that's just, that's like, that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's total BS. And like the whole time I was thinking, like, Oh man, if Lehman Brothers was still around and then they were here, yeah, yeah. Their <laughs> even though the Lehman Brothers got their start brokering slave deals, it's just like it's yeah, there's a lot of greenwashing. Yeah, but I I think it's uh and it's weird because it's just like you don't need to greenwash it. Like you could just do it, right? It's like you could get good returns if you just do your job and like research it and look at it and like you don't have, but I guess it's the easy way out. Right. And it's just like, but if you just do it the right way, like you will have good returns and like you will have more clients, like as a business decision, it's like the good decision to do. So I don't, I don't understand why you would take the easy way out knowing that this is the landscape of where things are going. Right. You should be investing a lot of your talent, you know, a lot of your employees into having an entire part of your company dedicated to this stuff right i know but the was it the BlackRock uh, ceo came out i think earlier that it was a 2020 i can't remember what year it was if it was 2019 or earlier this year but he came out with this sort of big letter of, of about like you know stakeholder capitalism and kind of investing in more sustainably environmentally and they're not and they're taking a, a totally different path and i was like okay like yeah that i mean they manage trillions and trillions of dollars that's a big kind of statement but it, it's you know it's also you don't know really internally if like that is a real philosophical change or not you know we just don't know yet yeah I mean so far it doesn't look like it so much is as they just wanted to say it um but I, I mean I think even even them saying it coming out and saying it and stating that is, is a step in the right direction though a small step it's something it's something it's, 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 something. Something. Yeah. it's something yeah it's it's something but it and go back to to what you you spoke before about like the index funds and, and sort of these you know these these financial instruments to where you know people just kind of don't know what's in them 
right? And it's almost like our, our food labels, right? Where it's like, we just eat food, we just kind of, but it's like, we don't know really what's in it, right? And it's like the transparency within, you know, funds or, or and look, you can dig down deep and it, it, you know, it's small, you could figure it out on your own, but like, you know, it's like people don't have the time, right? Nor like, you know, that's not their job to do that, right? And I think making transparency within, you know, these funds and like what companies actually do um, I think is an important thing. And, and I know that there's not a way to really, you know, change that, but like, do you see like investors talking about that transparency and like wanting to know more? Like you said, I always look at like the food revolution of like people want to know what to put in their bodies. Right. And now as conscious consumers we want to know what we're putting on our bodies too now. And it's like, well, what do we actually put in our money into investing? wise? Like I think that transparency, hopefully, is becoming more and more the norm where like you, like we said before individuals investors want to learn more they want to learn this type of stuff <laughs> totally I, I mean i think there are more and more companies like us which is amazing but in terms of just i think people are starting to be more aware of what they're invested in i think a, a lot of the investing wisdom has been like just invest in index funds and then you'll be right. fine right but right the problem with that is you're invested in prison companies yeah, yeah. all these other terrible companies um, so, I mean, personally, what I think would be amazing if it happened, which maybe it will in the future sometime, but is it the sustainable funds that we're invested in, if they were the default. So rather than mm. relying on individuals to have to go out and do yeah. the research and instead of investing in just the default, which is now just plain index funds, if the default was a sustainable and socially responsible fund and it wasn't, it wasn't called a sustainable or socially responsible fund, <laughs> yeah, right. the fund. Yeah. I feel like that would go a long way. So part of like what our goal with Good Capital is, is not just to grow the company, but it's also to provide education and mm-hmm. try to, you know, maybe lift the veal, veil, veal, <laughs> the veil up on, on what it is to be sustainable. Cause it shouldn't be like mystic what we do. Right. Right. So any, anyone can go look at what's under the hood of their investments. If you yeah. go to a website called www.asyouso.org, S-O-W, you can put in your mutual fund or index fund or whatever you're invested in, and it'll tell you exactly what industries you're invested in, either weapons, coal, tobacco, uh, prisons. I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll show you everything. So any investor can go out there and, and really dive into what it is that uh, they're invested in. The, the problem with that is that once you identify that you're in something that you don't want to be in, how do you exit that position? And there's, there's so many different ways to start investing sustainably. You know, if you don't want to do the work, you leverage an expert, you leverage someone like yeah. us. But if you want to put the time in, there's, there's so many different resources out there to try to, to try to invest sustainably. But this is the way of the future. I, I mean, it's so, it, it's almost funny and sad to me all at the same time that there's still coal companies out there investing. Mm-hmm. You can be on one side of the political aisle or the other side of the political aisle with when it turns to energy, but if you look at a chart at market share of yeah, what yeah. energy is producing our mm-hmm. you know, lights today, coal's been on decline for a while. So why would you hold that in any <laughs> yeah, yeah. Using industry, even when the coal museum in West Virginia is powered by solar? Like that's, that, if that's not <laughs> coming on, I don't know what is. I mean, all of these fossil fuel companies are powered by solar too. It's just so yeah. like to be invested in these, it's just like having an iPhone too. Why would you have an iPhone too? <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. There's better out there. And, and that's the beautiful thing about human ingenuity is that there's always going to be something better. So to hold, I think last time I checked, the total stock market index holds about just over 2% in coal. 
That's a 2% of your portfolio that's an anchor. That's yeah. dead weight. Why yeah, hold it? Dead weight. You allocate that towards something else. And there's going to be always something newer. So to, to be sustainable, like that's a cool buzzword. No, we're just looking for yeah. the flow. That's yeah. it. No, it, it's true. No, it's true. Because I mean, it, it's ironic a little bit because like the coal industry or like they were actually had, they were actually in prime position to like pivot so early on and be like, look, our industry has brought us this far, right? But now there's like better ways to do energy, right? Like we're going to shift what we do you know, and you would employ more people, right? Your margins will probably be better. You know, you will have way more customers. You will empower way more people and, and you will get subsidies like from the government probably now, like as we see more and more, like, like the, the government is starting to support a, a lot of these new energy fields, which is, which is great. But it's like, it's such a, it was such like a blockbuster itis, right? And just like uninnovative leaders in massive industries, and it's just like, dude, you just, they just drop the ball. You know, it's like, they can't blame anybody else and trying to just like keep holding on to what was good 20, 30 years ago. It's just like, why just not innovate? Like, why just be like an American innovator? And like, I, I don't know. It's like, don't you preach that anyway? You know, if we're, you know, it's just like, I don't, I, they had such a great opportunity and it's just like, they keep trying to hold on to something. It's just like, dude, it's just, do you not understand like where innovation is going and like, how much more energy you could produce, you know, and how much money you can make. Like, that's the thing. Like we always go back to it. It's like, you can make so much money, like taking care of the world rather than destroying it. Right. Because it's, it's endless. You're always going to want to take care of the world, but once you destroy it, you can't make any more money. Right. Right. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, it's such a good point. I think people are so entrenched sometimes in what has been and what was good at one point that it's hard to see maybe yeah. that's why i don't know it's, it's, it's to... tough it's tough to see it when you're in it but yeah, yeah taking a step back i mean yeah i mean i could go down a, a total history right <laughs> history book, but i'll spare everybody I, I, I think also there's a history aside i think also it's our generation where it's been like we've seen progress happen so quickly yeah and the rate at which technology increases is so insane that we're just used to it and it's not something that we're scared of at all yeah um, i wonder if that has something to do with it too for sure uh, I wonder, and i mean previous generations have been more extraction based right like you, you your wealth comes from extracting it from the earth or for you know exploiting labor or whatever yeah for sure you know we grew up as children of the hippie generation so now we're more conscious about where the wealth comes from and where materials come from and, and how it's sourced and supply chains so it's just being more conscious about you know where all the goods and services that we use on an everyday basis come from and that that extends to the investment side of only wanting to support the companies that are being sustainable let's go down the path of, of cisco right and i think that was a beautiful example do you see any other companies doing that like, are there other, are you optimistic that there are going to be more and more? And are there currently other ones that you see that you could share? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so just in the short time that we've been operating, I mean, our, our goal is not only to provide a financial return for our clients, like that, that's paramount, right? Because if we're not sure, doing that, we don't have a company, but it's also to change corporate policy. That That's also huge. So in, in our short existence of, of since inception, we've actually seen the corporate policies change of several different companies, which is mm -hmm. the most mm -hmm. it's so rewarding to see. And nothing's been more timely than 
during the Black Lives Matter movement, right when all the, the height of uh, protests were going on, letters went out to just about every single holding uh, that we have asking for data, internal data on, hmm. uh, on positions and pay and uh, race within those positions. So we're not, we don't care about equal pay. Equal pay doesn't mean anything because if all you know, your lowest paid employees are minorities, then that doesn't solve anything. You want to mm-hmm. see it through the vertical of the company. So you want to see mean, uh, median pay instead of equal pay. Mm. So surveys went out to all, the, all of the companies and we're still waiting for it to come back because it takes a while to aggregate data. Sure. With that information, you can go and say, well, you have a, a huge gap, you know, in middle upper management for, you know, minorities. Why? Why, why have you not curated those, those, uh, those people? Because there is a clear correlation between diversity on a uh, C-suite or board and, and revenue levels. There's, yeah. there's so many different papers out there saying that, no, you know, hiring diversity opens up demographics that you didn't think were by your products or services. So there's, there's a very clear correlation, again, to profit from sustainability. So these surveys went out to all of, our, uh, all of the holdings. We're waiting for that back. And if there are gaps there or if there are things that can be improved, policies will be made around those. Yeah, I think just to take a step back, in terms of sustainable investing, right, we are divesting from the bad industries that we don't support. And then we're investing in these better companies. And then the third part about how we create impact is what Gideon's talking about, which is in a larger like in a larger category, it's called shareholder activism. Mm-hmm. So it's reaching out to these companies within your portfolio and asking for the racial diversity breakdown or, or, or voting on, on proxy matters. Right. So mm-hmm. just telling a, a company that you either like or not like what they're doing based on how you vote. And, and those votes really matter because you're a part owner in the company. You have equal say. Right. And then also some of the funds that we invest in will then also actively engage with the company, which was like the Cisco example. Um, so all of that is happening at the same time, which is amazing. So I'm, I'm very optimistic. I mean, like, no, like I, I think you actually have to be an optimist to be an investor. You can't be a pessimist. Sure. You can invest in anything. So no, I, I'm, I'm super optimistic. I think as our generation grows up and, and um, climbs a corporate ladder, there's too much data out there in favor of this type of management and this type of way of running a company that, you know, doing good is good for business that it, 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 it's not, it's going to take off. Like it, it, we've already seen it take off and it's just, it's going to go up from here. So it's, 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 I, I'm very optimistic about the next uh, 30 years. Amazing. <laughs> well, after that too. <laughs> just, just, just then the 31st year is just going to suck, but the next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. I, one more, I'll have one more question and then, and then we could cut a side off. When you look at B Corps, and I don't know how, how, how far you know, down the, the line of research, you kind of looked at, a, at some companies, but there are going to be some, there are some B Corps that are public and I think are going to be on the roadmap to go public. Do you look at that as, as a real validation, right? And maybe would you not automatically, right, invest in a company because they are a B Corp, right, if they were public, but you know, would something like a B Corp index, right, eventually be something that, you know, could be, could go something in the right direction where, you know, there, there is sort of this clear cut fund or index where you, you could look at it and trust it, right, where it's, like we said before, kind of the default, you know, sustainable index, we kind of maybe called something else. But as, you know, more and more 
B Corps become in the public markets, do you think that might be like a really good indication of of where like investors will put their money? Or, or do you think it needs to be just more than just a B Corp, right? Like they still have to do some of the certain data points that you talked about earlier. Well, let me, uh, yeah. So this has been my COVID project is to become a work. <laughs> and holy shit, let me tell you how rigorous that is. I hear, yeah, man. It's, a, it's like a year long thing, right? It's hours and hours and hours of, yeah, I, I, it's any, any company that's been at B Corp, I have a lot of respect for because it's, <laughs> it's not a, it's not, it's a pretty rigorous process. In terms of like a, a B Corp index, just because a company or a corporation is a B Corp doesn't necessarily mean it's like a, a found business model. Yeah. Um, so to yeah. look for the profitability first and then maybe layer on B Corp as like an ancillary metric, I think would be would be interesting. But I just like straight B Corp, I mean, you have no idea about you know, revenue streams or, or product moat or debt or anything like that, that any investor should be looking at. But, but on top of it, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great education because it, it's tough to get. Yeah. I mean, I think also there are, it's awesome. So B Corp is owned by B Lab, right? Which is a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, I mean, I'm just reminded of Just Capital, which is a nonprofit too. And they have, they have an index, don't they? Or yeah. They, yeah. yeah. There's a lot, a lot of holes in that one though. There's what? There's a lot of holes in that, though, I feel like. I would love to kick your brain yes. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's based off of just the Russell. Right, yeah. It's, yeah. It's their, own, their, own, their own metrics on top of the Russell. I mean, in any okay. case. I mean, Neither here nor there. I, th- I think it's, I think it's a, another step in the right direction. I sure, think. yeah. Um, but that these nonprofits are coming in and giving their perspectives and validating companies as to whether or not they're good or bad. And I mean, it's, one one issue with the industry right now, I think, is that there are so many different metrics, and yeah, even just for like ESG, there's so many. I know, right? Things. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's hard to hard to there. Well, there is no standard across, but it's hard to measure across what's going on. Um, but I mean, in terms of nonprofits coming in and contributing, that's amazing. And I think that the B Lab in general is doing some really good work. Yeah. Hopefully we can become a B Corp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully soon. <laughs> well, but you know, it was, it was interesting. And I think one of the metrics for B Corp, though, is going back to actually what you just said, Gideon, is that you can't just invest in, in companies because they're a B Corp because we don't know, you know, what their financials are, right? What their books are, like what their profitability is. And kind of what happened with Tom's, I thought was was interesting. I don't know if you saw, but they, they couldn't pay, they couldn't pay their debt holders, right? So then they got actually... Tom's is not owned by Tom's anymore. It's just owned by like a private equity, you know, mm-hmm. because they couldn't pay, they couldn't pay their debt. Right. And I was like, well, how, shouldn't part of being a B Corp is like being that you are like a sustainable business and like you have your, 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 your books, like in a way where you're showing that part of being like a, a good business is like having like good books. Right. And being literally sustainable as a business, <laughs> not necessarily in how you run your business, but like also from like, your 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 mark your profit loss statement like shouldn't that be in a good place to even be a b corp as well right like i i don't know i thought that was i thought that was really telling a little bit it's like looking at all this other stuff is obviously like valuable like that is the first step right but like also like actually looking at the business too like i feel like that is also an indication if a company you know should be labeled like good or not yeah, for sure. It's, it's not just about the story. It's about sound revenue. And you, 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 you hit the nail on the head with, you know, you have to be a sustainable business in terms of creating profit for yourself because 
you're doing yourself and your employees a disservice if you're, you know, hemorrhaging money. And, and you could have the best mission statement in the world and being, you know, a really good company at B Corp and go bankrupt. Yeah. And you're not helping anyone. Yeah. 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 That's such a good point, Grant. Sorry. I, I hate to I hate to be the negative Nancy here, but you know, sometimes we gotta, we gotta. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's what comes with the world of investing, right? I mean, you do take risks and, and, but you, you gotta do the diligence, the due diligence of finding the companies that you want to invest in just from a profitability standpoint. And, and I think that's why with our expertise in the public market, well, just to go into the public market, you need to do, file with the sec to have reporting so like there is this layer of transparency that's not prevalent in the private equity market that that helps us you know determine um if a investment is good or not yeah which i would love that's why i'd love to see more companies go public you know just because it 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 gives you that transparency right good or bad i guess you know and that's such a good point i i'm i'm gonna definitely do more research on what social impact companies are going public if there are any. It's so interesting. So, I mean, I'm all for as many social impact companies to go public as possible. But I also think that there's so many different ways to fund money and that all of these platforms that are available, and I'm reading an ESG book right now, and I just learned of two different platforms I never heard of before, and I can't think of them because it's fun. I mean, that's amazing. You're, You're giving you know, business owners and CEOs, so many more tools to, to use in order to get your mission across. And, and the more platforms are available, the better. That being said, going public is the way, is the, the one of the best ways to compensate uh, C-suite executives. So like they're motivated by going to the investment banks and getting compensated for shares of their company. With every other platform out there, you know, from Kickstarter to donations, this is the best way for uh, an exit strategy for for a founder, um, and that's why it's just so liked for everybody. I appreciate uh, you taking the time. Uh, it's always fun for me to to chat with people on the ground, you know, and, and kind of dealing with this stuff day to day, and dealing with with investors and dealing with the industry that's sort of sort of new, right? And, and kind of we're, we're all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to figure out what data points we should look at. Right, if a, as an individual investor or as a as an advisor, you know, trying to figure out the right right way to look at this stuff, and uh, it's uh, it's really important that 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 knowledge is is sort of offered and delivered. So I always appreciate people taking the time and telling their story and and, and telling their path and and trying to to just give voice to to different opinions and different ways to look at to look at uh, impacting the world through, through your money, right? Sometimes you don't, it's not just what you buy, but also what you invest in is probably yeah. more important. <laughs> no, but I mean, we, we are all about giving autonomy back to investors and there are so many different ways to go about this, but you, I mean, as an investor, so if you have a 401k or if you are, you know, have a brokerage account or an IRA, you really can have your, your personal values reflected yeah. in your money. And it's, it's not, it's, I would say it takes a lot of research. If you want to do the DIY approach, there are so many financial professionals out there. If you work with us, great. We just want to move the needle in whatever yeah. fashion that is. So if you, even if you divest $10,000 from a cigarette company, man, you're doing, you're doing really good work. So I, I really encourage everybody to, to just uh, learn a little bit about what sustainable investing is. You'll find a whole slew of articles about how profitable it is. So yeah, um, just, just, get motivated and make some change. Yeah. And I think it's a, rel- I mean, at this point, it's a relatively low risk way of creating a lot of change. I mean, we've seen yeah. recent studies come out about how it's 
way more effective to change what your invested dollars are invested in rather than changing your consumer dollars. Um, it just goes mm. a long way just because you're affecting these huge corporations that have way more of an impact than we do yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. Individuals. Great point. Great point. Again, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, thanks so much and enjoy. Well, try to enjoy the rest of the year and, and, and you know, stay safe and, and stay healthy, but, but best of luck the rest of this year and, and obviously best of luck to, to years to come. Thank you, thanks, Grant. Grant. You too. And thank you so much for having us.